Hello and welcome to the Middlesex County Cricket League podcast. My name's Dan Huff from Twickenham and I'm really pleased to be back in the saddle with, um, with two esteemed cricketing aficionados. First up, my uh, regular partner in crime, Salman Ali from North London. Hi Sal, how are you? Hi, good evening Dan, how are you doing? Battling on, battling on. Today is warmer than yesterday, which therefore means we're getting nearer... Definitely, there's more light as well. So there's more light in the mornings and in the evenings as we've seen. So I can definitely feel, you know, the season's very close. Absolutely, up. yeah. We're not too far away or being well. Um, and our third guest, we are really pleased to, to, to be able to speak to, well, a, a global name um, that, that is, uh, who is very strongly linked to our league, precisely because he lives right next to one of our member clubs. And that's um, Jim Carter. Jim, welcome on board. Hi, good evening, Dan. Hi, Simon. Thanks for taking the time nice to speak to, be to here. us. Yeah, we, we, we really appreciate that even in lockdown, I guess you are relatively busy, would that be right? Or, or are things ground to a halt now that um, you can't get out and about? Ground to an absolute complete halt, yeah. Um, the, the film industry is starting up again slowly, but I mean, it's it's uh, the pandemic's caused massive um you know, expense problems, the, the logistics of filming with people being in secure bubbles and things like that are enormous. No theatre, of course, no, not for the foreseeable. Can't see theatre starting up again, maybe this year even, who knows? Um, but uh, so I've had uh, lots of gardening leave, shall we say. Um, <laughs> Yeah, challenging time for, for for many industries, but you know, creative industries and and and, uh, and industries that are linked to them, I suppose, because as you say, you just can't get out and about and do your stuff, can you? Yeah, I feel sorry. I mean, it's the kids in drama schools. You know, they're paying nine grand a year to go to a drama school, and they've had to sort of be do tuition over there you know, on their laptops in their bedrooms and uh, how do you do plays and agents don't get to see your shows and then there's no business to go into when you come out of it, you know. So for youngsters, it's difficult. My age, as I say, you know, time in the garden is, is not, it gets a bit boring, but that's all. And I, I just pray that we can we can start a cricket season. I, I, I doubt we'll get underway in April, will we? Or early May? It's, it's hard to say and, until the... You know, until we can loosen up the restrictions. Yeah, I um, think the official position in in the league is wait and see. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, fingers crossed. So we just have to be ready to go at the drop of a hat when we when we get the nod. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this time last year, Sal and I were pretty negative about it all. We thought we'd struggle to get anything, and you know, the nine game season that we had, I thought was was a real success, and I'd have. You know, I'd have been very happy with that last February and last March when it, it you know, when COVID was was really kicking in. Um, going back to the beginning, though, Jim, I'm, I'm very intrigued to, to talk to you a little bit about your, your past, really, and about your past relationship with cricket. Now, uh, of course, as I think many of our listeners will know, you, you, you grew up in Yorkshire um, and, you know, the People's Republic is, is famed as a, as a cricketing hotbed. Um, so I'm guessing you'd have been exposed to cricket at a relatively early age. Is that right? Yeah, I was, I suppose. I mean, I'm not a cricket geek at all or a cricket tragic and uh, I'm certainly not a cricket player. We can maybe touch on my my very limited cricket playing career later on. But it's just in the DNA in Yorkshire. You know, we'd go out for a, a drive in the country and you'd stop by a little charming little cricket pitch in sort of the Nidderdale League or the Wharfdale League in Otley or Ilkley or Ripley or somewhere. 
And you'd pull up and mum and dad would sit in the deck chairs and we kids would play around the boundary and you just absorbed it. And I know for many, you know, after I left Harrogate um, in the late 60s, um, whenever I rung home, my mother would always say, have you seen the score? You know, and she was always talking about Yorkshire, not about of England. Of course. Um, yeah. And in those days, in the 50s, when I was growing up really in, in Harrogate, um, posh Yorkshire, um, We'd always get a, a county game once, you know, the, the outgrounds were, you know, at Bradford and Sheffield, uh, Harrogate were used. And we'd get a, a county game in August when the school holidays were on. So we'd always go up for a, a couple of days of that or we'd catch a, a day at the Scarborough Festival when it was, a, you know, a, a big festival of cricket. Now I think there's just one county game and a couple of one dayers up there. But um so, so it's that kind of old-fashioned introduction to cricket, um, and I was lucky to have my heroes. Of course, were in those days were Brian Close, Fred Truman, Doug Paget, Phil Sharp, Jimmy Binks, uh, then the young interloper from the tax office in Bradford, um, Jeffrey Boycott came on the scene. So uh, that, that that was. Uh, those were my early form, formative days, but I never played at school because cricket at school meant all, all afternoon. Whereas if you played tennis, you played for forty minutes and then you bumped off, you know. So uh, Jim, you're like I didn't wife. really start. My wife says this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you recognise me, Dan? Yeah. <laughs> no, but I understand your angle. Yeah, I understand mm -hmm. your angle. Um, I, I have a question but, about Harrogate. This is a very left field one, actually. You know, mm. I, I forgot, of course, that you're from Harrogate. Now, you, you, nothing to do with cricket, right? Th th those of us of a certain age remember Bucks Fizz winning the Eurovision Song Contest in 1981. I don't know if anyone is with me on this, right? And of course, when you win the Eurovision Song Contest, you host the next year's um, competition. And in 1982, Britain hosted the Eurovision Song Contest in Harrogate. And I've never understood why. I'm guessing you're going to tell me you have no idea either, but do you? I didn't know that they had done that, but it makes sense because Harrogate is a, it's a conference town. Because it's an old spa town, it's got massive amounts of hotels and big conference facilities. So it had been in the what was then probably the new conference centre, and there's huge number of hotels to sort of put up sort of mad Swedes who want to cheer on their team and things like that. So it, it does make sense, but I, I shall now add it to my history of Harrogate knowledge. Thank you. Yep. I'm, I'm a font of useless knowledge, Jim. Well, I warn you, there could be more of that randomness to come, but that, that thank you very much. I, I wasn't really aware of that, but it, it really, you know, helps uh, clarify that one. So in terms of your playing of the game, you mentioned you, you've never really played much cricket, but you, you must have played some at some point. Did you have any formative memories there? Yeah, I mean, I played, um, I really started up cricket again, sort of in my 30s, really. I, I lived in Maida Vale in London. We had a fantastic local pub, the Warwick Castle, which was just a great boozer with a great landlord. And they had a cricket team. So, I, you know, I, I turned out for them and we played kind of the round the recreation grounds of London in a, in a sort of haphazard sort of style. And then I was at the National Theatre for two and a half years in the early 80s and they had a cricket team and their fixture list was against the Victoria and Albert and the London Symphony Orchestra and the equity and the stage and um, great thrills when we played against the stage and the master from Doctor Who used to stand at first slip and things like that and we played on on ground selected for their um, you know their picturesque qualities so out at Stoner with the red kites flying overhead and deer in the field opposite. 
And my role was really tea watchman. You know, we'd, we'd have a 40 over game. And if a wicket fell within an over of tea, I'd have to go and block out an over. And then, for God's sake, Jim, get out and give somebody else a chance. Um, my, the highlight of my career, and it's etched in my mind, not particularly for the score, which I will mention as 43 not out, um, <laughs> but for the location was, was a, a village called Ugly, U-G-L-E-Y, nice. on the Essex-Cambridge borders. And the directions to get to the ground said, turn right at the sign for the Ugly Women's Institute. Um, and if you Google that now, you'll see a rather sort of po-faced little notice saying that the Ugly Women's Institute has now changed its name to the Women's Institute of Ugly due to the adolescent jibes that the name caused. The Ugly Farmer's Market has not changed its name. So that, that was a highlight of my playing career. But then I thought, you know, I'm mean, here I am driving for an hour and a half to play cricket rather badly with a bunch of mates and driving an hour and a half back. And I live right next to a cricket ground where quality cricket is being played. I could be with my wife and daughter and the Sunday papers down at the bottom of the garden. Why am I risking life and limb heading off into the countryside? So, um, you know, 20 odd years ago, I sort of jacked in the cricket um, and uh, just spending all my weekends watching Hampstead play. Yeah. I mean, thinking about it, some of those sides are still going, aren't they? Because uh, up until very recently, Twickenham mm. used to play the stage, and I genuinely remember the man from Del Monte playing. He, he, he was the, <laughs> yeah. the man from Del Monte played. He was also right Jaffers. And let's credit Salman with that joke. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the London theatres, the stage, um, equity. Um, one team called, rather bizarrely, Actors Anonymous. I, I, you know, guys, come on, let's have a bit more self-confidence. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's an odd one, isn't it? I don't, it doesn't make much sense at all. Um, but also, of course, you know, also the drink driving laws got more strict. So, you, you know, you'd play a game out, you know, in Oxfordshire and you couldn't really have a drink. So... So it changes the dynamic, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It does change the dynamic a lot, yeah. For a lot of social cricket, I think it's changed the dynamic. So I, I very happily then spent my weekends, you know, with my wife and daughter watching Hampstead and slowly got more involved in the club through that. Right. Sal, you wanted to talk about Hampstead, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So you introduced how you how you actually joined Hampstead as a club itself, obviously being almost like a neighbour next to the ground. Um for, I mean, I'd say at least 20 years, uh, Hampstead have been, uh, you know, a Premier League club. You know, they've had some good sides in the past, some very good players. You know, they've had Paul Weeks, um, uh, Gary Headley, these kind of guys who've played first-class cricket before, but never actually won the league. Um, you took over in 2010, and then on the back of that, the club won two championships. When you took over, was what was your sort of, you know, ideal sort of plan? Did you have like a five-year plan to try and change things within the club? And what was the reason behind the success in, in, in terms of winning the two league titles that you won? Um, I uh, wish I could say I, that I'd had a plan. Um, if I can just backtrack a bit, Sal, just to, to how I first got involved. And yeah, then go for it. Build, then I will, I promise you, I'll answer your question. Um, I sort of, um, well, for, for a start, when my daughter was young, they had Sunday morning cricket and I'd go down there and help out with that and, and to, 
she was spent so much time down at the cricket club. It was like her back garden, really. So I felt very grateful to the club for, for allowing us the use of all that space. And I realised that the club didn't really have much of a social life, like quiz nights and um, uh, award ceremonies, which the social teams I'd played for, <laughs> they were the highlights of the year. But Hampstead didn't really do that kind of stuff. Um, and I sort of wanted to make a contribution. So I said, look, with my skills as an actor, as a front man, as a showman, maybe I can run a quiz night for you. Maybe I can do some fundraising for you, <clears throat> do an awards night. So I sort of started to get in, involved that way. Um, and then I came onto the committee sort of slightly more formally. And then really the, the club was sort of a, a little bit divided at the time. There was a kind of a fair bit of backbiting and politics going on. And so I sort of was asked by some players, would I put myself forward as chairman? And I did. And it was a slightly convoluted process. But my remit was actually to put a smile on people's faces, I think. It was um, because the only thing I can contribute to is club spirit, which I believe in very strongly. I think club spirit um, counts for an awful lot. I, you know, I think it's a cliche, but a happy club is a successful club, I think. And something that the guy, he was the captain of Richmond. He said he always felt that when he came to Hampstead, there was, there was always a good chance they would win because he felt Hampstead was a lot of talented individuals, but not a team. And I thought, well, if we can make a team, maybe that'll work. Um, and I worked with uh, Nick Brown, who has been the chairman for the last five years, and I've, I've just stepped back in now um, to take over from Nick, although he's still the cricket manager. Um, and Nick was very good on, on um, sort of uh, recruiting, which is sort of easy for Hampstead because of where we're located. We're so central. Anyone moving to London will Google a cricket club and we're the easiest one of anyone to get to, which plays in our favour. Although not the easiest one to park at, Jim, if you don't mind me saying. No, no, no. <laughs> Actually, that, that is very true. Um, so, so we just, with, a, with Nick sort of finding, you know, a, a good overseas player and then a bit of club spirit and we built up. And, uh, yeah, we won the league twice, which I was... It was one of my best nights of my, my cricketing sort of experience was in the, the champagne flowing in the changing room when we won the league, when... I think Teddington lost and we, we picked it up in 2012 or 13 or whatever. Um, did I sort of answer your question? In the no, yeah, you did, you did. I just want to add as well, obviously you've been quite sort of vocal and supportive also of introducing ladies cricket within the club, which have been sort of a driving force behind as well. Do you want to sort of go into some detail about how, how that got going and where you're at now with that? Yeah, um, that started with a sort of a, conversation sort of with um, the hockey players because in the winter our clubhouse is taken over by hockey players who uh, just use the clubhouse really they play off on Astro Turf Court in a school nearby and um, some of the women hockey players said can we play you know do you have a women's side can we play cricket and it was a light bulb moment and um, we had an Aussie player coach at the time who was very gung-ho and we just started and we just said turn up and we, we you know Pete, the, the, the Aussie, trained them. And we didn't 
actually um, to really run it by the committee because we had the, the, the old chairman. We thought that the idea of women playing cricket would be slightly an anathema to him. So we just started it as a guerrilla cricket movement. Um, and unlike a lot of clubs, which start sort of women and girls cricket from the ground up from 10 year olds upwards, we started with a lot of women in their 20s, post-university hockey players, so sporting women. And uh, we started from that about nearly 15 years ago, I think. Um, and it's it's just a great benefit to the club. The women bring so much to the club, their enthusiasm, their, 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 their volunteer, they play the... The, the sport in a you know in, in a in a great spirit and we've now got two women's teams we've got um a, 40 or 50 girls being coached um uh the the one the the shame i have to say is that um, not all middlesex league clubs started women's cricket at the same time because there's a big disparity in the the um playing ability so our women the first teamers have to travel off to Horsham and Reading and they have to do horrific journeys you know they don't it's a shame they don't play in the same ge geographical area I think over years there's a um, there's a, a league called the Esme Ir Irwin League which has started up amongst the Middlesex men's clubs which will slowly build till we're all playing on the same level. So Hampstead can play Twickenham and Finchley and Bronsbury uh, without having to do these horrific journeys. But uh, the women are tr a tremendous asset to the club. And we try to make sure that the, the club is seen as an all-encompassing men's and women's, not a men's cricket club, but a men and women's cricket club equally, you know. Having okay. two women's sides is an impressive, sound, isn't it? We've got one yeah. at Twickenham, and that's, I think it's doing quite well, but the idea of having two would be a bit beyond yeah. us. So that's, you know, fair play. It's, it's, it's good. I mean, when I became chairman first in, in 2010, um, that same year, I, I started on a little television programme called Downton Abbey, and uh, the two things worked very well together. I got known as the 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 actor who likes cricket so i got some nice invitations and uh, it also gave me a voice sort of um so i was able to use the downton abbey sort of influence to, for the benefit of hampstead and one of the big things we did in our sesquicentennial year what's sesquicentennial mean dan do you know 150th. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Just, just <laughs> going to struggle with Google there. Yeah, 150. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, for, in our 150th year, I'm, um, Claire Connor very kindly brought the England women's cricket team to play at Hampstead, and they played a, against a mixed men's, women's, and Colts side. Um, fantastic game, which the England women won in the in the, the last ball spectacularly. But from that one event, we recruited 35 girl cricketers. You know, it was just, a they were such ambassadors for the game. Um, it was inspirational to see, and that gave us a massive boost, I have to say. Out of interest, do any of the women play in the, um, in the Saturday sides? Because um, quite a few clubs in Middlesex do have women playing Saturday cricket. They don't. They have done in the past very occasionally. Um, but, you know, if they're playing on a Sunday and travelling a long cricket. way, yeah. it's, it's too much. Uh, we did have, um, uh, 
I don't know if you remember Mark Divin, uh, yeah. an Australian ta- Tasmanian guy. Yeah, yeah very good player. Brilliant. And and his wife was as good as him. Wow. And she she famously played, I think, in the third team, and she was fielding at short leg, and this guy sort of. Uh, sort of hit the ball and it might have caught her on the shin and he sort of apologised rather patronisingly and the next ball went in pretty well the same place she flicked it back and ran him out and she apologised to him <laughs> so um, uh, she, she was an exceptional cricketer um, and as was Mark and, and Mark kind of won us the Middlesex Cup that year really um, in, in pr- pretty spectacular style yeah, good player yeah. good player mm. sure. yeah Great guy as well. I mean, just as happy to coach the under fives on the Sunday morning as to you know coach the men on a on a Wednesday evening knockout. You know. yeah. I'd have thought the under fives were probably more straightforward. To be honest, um, <laughs> they might listen. Yeah. <laughs> Jim, I was going to mention to you as well. Um, obviously, you mentioned the women's cricket. I think there are plans next season or this season, obviously, coming forward in terms of having regionalised Middlesex League. So hopefully, your women won't have to do all these long journeys we've been speaking about. Um, where it's sort of two divisions and it's kind of based on ability as well so again that's that's what I've been sort of hearing about last year I know something similar happened so hopefully this year you guys can get involved and you know save all that petrol money and hassle driving to Reading and Horsham which would be good that, that, I mean it'd be great when you know I mean all the, all the men's teams all have women's sides of a similar ability and they can we can have leagues that uh, it, it, it'll be much easier, much better, you know. And, and, and that, that day is is coming slowly. Yeah. So, Jimmy, you mentioned charity games at your club earlier on. I'm sure you've got a few people you can call upon to sort of turn up at Hampstead. Just talk us through the sort of you know. I mean, is it obviously they must be well attended normally. Obviously, not last year. And hopefully, not hopefully this year they will be. I mean, what's the sort of basis behind that? You know, do you, you get your old black book out and make a few phone calls, and someone turns up, and you get the odd sort of funny occasion where one of your superstar batsmen getting bowled out by. Some act of bowling long ops and pies, you know. Yeah, we've 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 done well on that again. That, you know, thanks to the Downton Abbey sort of influence, um, we we had for three or four years. We en- we ended in September with um, a celebrity match, and we'd have you know sort of through Paul Weeks would have Owe Shah playing, and then David Milan, number one. T20 batsman in the world played several years for us, so we get some decent cricketers in um, Middlesex guys, or um, uh, and and a, a couple of the England women. Danny Wyatt is a very really keen to come along all the time. Ebony Rainford, Brent, you know, uh, ace commentator uh, was uh, would come along. Ishigua played. Um, and then some actors. Um, D- Daniel Radcliffe t- came to the first one, but wasn't allowed to play because of um, insurance reasons. If, he'd, if his face had been rearranged by a cricket ball, that wouldn't have been very uh, helpful. But um, Dan, F- Dan F- Daniel Felton, Tom, Tom, Tom Felton, who played Draco Malfoy in the Harry Potter films, uh-huh. he played and... Uh, um, my mind is a little bit blank now. All sorts of good, and then we'd have Jim Broadbent and Derek Jacobi and uh, various people around the boundary. And you see, my idea because I'm so such an old fart that um, my idea of heaven is village cricket in a way. Um, so we'd have the 
uh, you know, the tea tent and the, the curry tent and the, the homemade cake tent and the, the tombola, the raffle, the little auction at the end. And we'd get the local fire brigade to bring the fire engine in for the kids and the local mounted police would turn up with the horses to be patted and things. You know, that's my idea of a, a good end to the cricket season. Uh, so it was the black book. Um, and we charge very little, but we'd, you know, we'd make several grand on the on the day, which you know went back into Colts cricket or, or women's cricket. So it, it was really worth doing, and we'd have four or five hundred people around, you know, because how many people? That that's one thing I can't understand. Nobody watches cricket in London, do they? Well, I mean, it depends Twickenham, on the ground, doesn't it, Jim? Really, I was. That's an interesting they, point. They can wander on at Twickenham. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. And they can wander on at Twickenham, but because we're a bit tucked away, nobody comes in. Yeah. Yeah. That's a problem with private grounds. I mean, lots of pluses to having a private ground, and lots of negatives mm. to playing on a village green. Because, of course, when you say wander on, they actually sometimes wander onto the outfield. <laughs> so uh, we really have to, to sort of explain to them that you know you may want to go round rather than across the square. But we, I think we're, we're one of the few clubs that will, you know, on a warm sunny day, we'd, we'd hope for two. 300 people around and you might get a circus thrown in as well which is yeah. not great but we have you know take the rough with the smooth yeah two or three hundred people is is fantastic yeah. you know i mean uh, we we will have eight ten you know uh, it's uh and i try to encourage the neighbors i say look it's 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 good coffee uh cheap beer um bring the sunday papers down i'll tell yeah. you where cow corner is avoid that and you'll be fine you know but uh they, they don't take it up. It's, it's yeah. a disappointment, really. Yeah. Guys, I'm going to come back to all of this, but we're just going to have a quick break because our sponsors, Woodstock, are going to say a, a few quick words. Looking for a new cricket equipment partner for yourself or your club can sometimes be tricky. With so many options to choose from, how do you make the right choice? When you want quality, value and service, there really is only one place to start. For more than a decade, Woodstock Cricket have been producing award-winning, high-performance cricket bats from their Shropshire workshop. Matched with their classy soft goods, luggage and accessories, Woodstock Cricket really do tick all the boxes. Get in touch with Woodstock Cricket and find out why many loyal clubs, players and international customers can't be wrong at info at woodstockcricket.co.uk. Okay, and should you want to find out more about Woodstock, they're very interested to get to know the clubs in the Middlesex County League. Just Google them, uh, avoid the 1967 Woodstock Festival, and you'll find the cricket manufacturer right after that. Jim, I had a, a question about sort of um, broader cricketing memories. Is there one abiding memory that, that you would point to as being sort of the, the, the pinnacle of your cricketing experience? And I don't mean playing, I mean in general. Is there one thing you would you would look back on and say, wow, that that is for me what it's all about, or that, that's what drew me to the game? Uh, there's one uh, springs to mind that might sound a bit big-headed, so I'll, 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 I'll risk that one. Um, I did. I was invited to be uh, at the view from the boundary during a, a test match at Trent Bridge, interviewed by Jonathan Agnew, and I thought, mm -hmm. well, I can die happy now. I've done that. That was a that was a kind of an ego trip, I have to say. Yeah. But I was, you know, <laughs> um, I guess one of my most exciting memories was school sports day, and we had those little transistor radios with a little earpiece and. Uh, 
uh, we couldn't concentrate on the sports day because uh, Freddie Truman was busy taking eight for 58 against the West Indies at Headingley. Um, and I remember the excitement of that and the tannoy going, uh, Jim Carter to the start for the 400 metres, please. But I was <laughs> totally involved with the cricket. Um, with Hampstead winning the... Middlesex Cup against Richmond at Teddington with about 50 of our supporters out there it was a great day. I mean, it was a marvellous day. Um, the, things like that. And, you know, and, yeah. again, with that, I don't want to seem pompous, but I, I think a great thing for cricket is that Claire Connor is going to be the president of the MCC next yeah. year. Yeah. I think that's a... And it's a mark of Kumar Sangakara, who's this year's president, that he nominated her. And I think it's a mark of his quality as a, as a man and a thinker. But I, I think that's a great moment, a historic moment in cricket. So, um, and having met Claire Connor a few times and I, I admire her straightforwardness, I, uh, uh, I don't want to sound pompous, but I think that's a great thing. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point. I hadn't really thought about that. And, and, and it, it, it is a, a marker, isn't it? it it's, it's it's history, you know, it really is. And, she, and she'd be fantastic at it because she's, she lives, eats and breathes cricket and she's done wonders for the women's game. So I think that's marvellous, you know. Yeah. And I, we've talked a lot about good things in cricket. And I think, you know, Salman and I are both in the same boat there. You know, when, when the sun shines, that there's nothing we, we like more than playing or watching cricket or talking about mm -hmm. cricket. Um, but is there anything about the game that drives you around the bend? And feel free to give a, a serious answer to that or a not so serious. Yeah. But uh, is the parts of the game you think, I just wish we'd do that differently? Um, I, again, I'm going to sort of slip into sort of being, a, sort of sound like a curmudgeon here. You know, I, I slightly, I, I regret the noise that's involved with cricket. The minders, we got him, boys, we got him, boys, we got him, boys. <laughs> I mean, oh, my God, please, you know, he, he, go on, it's your voice, it's your, well played, mate, you know. Uh, oh, that, that sort of drives me slightly bonkers, but I know this is firmly into old fart territory here. Um, well, you, I think you'd be surprised because certainly I, when I play the game, I don't mind. I don't want banter. I'm not a massive fan no. of the word, but it's got to be good. Yeah. I don't want any of this drivel. You know, you've got to entertain me. And, and you, not enough of it. The drivel is is extraordinary. You know, um, and. Uh, so, and I don't think it adds anything, and, and it leads into sort of kind of this again learnt from the television this aggressive appealing. I mean, the umpires are older kind of guys who are giving up a Saturday for a pittance to sort of umpire. Don't be putting them under massive amount of pressure, you know. I mean, again, I'm out of step with the times here, probably, but uh, I'm not yeah. fond of that. Uh, um, yeah, I think it's just yeah. Um, but is it, it's just a necessary changes. I mean, you know, the social cricket is slowly disappearing. It's all becoming um, results cricket, league cricket, competition cricket, uh, which is, a, again, a bit of a shame, you know, really. But um, things change, things evolve. That, that, that's OK. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, think, I think that's interesting because I don't think everything has changed as much as you might think. And I, I, admittedly, I'm, you know, my days of playing sort of semi-decent cricket are gone. But I, there's a lot of people out there who do find the rattle but, but very, very irritating. And, and, and cricket's sort of moving a, bit, a little bit down the football route. I mean, it's now against the laws of the game to impersonate. So diving is banned, like in football. So if you slide for a ball, but you're not really anywhere near the ball, it's five penalty runs. And um, Really? 
Yeah, yeah. I really think that's a very odd law change. Well, but um, what, what, what's wrong with that? I mean, I don't understand the, the reasoning behind that. Salman, um, you're, a, you're a qualified umpire more than I am. I'm going to put you on the spot, spot. You? Yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm not going to go into the, the detail. But I mean, I think it's just the whole kind of faking or disguise. It's sort of similar to if the keeper takes the ball, pretends to take the ball in his hands and or no, pretends the ball's gone behind him and has the ball in their hands and tries to make a stump or a run out. That kind of, you know, it's probably not in the you know laws of the game in terms of being played fairly, I suppose. Mm. Or someone will pull me up on this who actually knows more than me. But yeah, that's probably the kind of basis behind it. Um, yeah. Spirit of the game would probably be the line they, they speak yeah, about. Yeah. But I just think it's one of those rule changes that, well, is that the first thing you thought about, guys? You know, there's many <laughs> things you could do and you've done that one. Yeah. No, but as you say, the, the mindless sort of rabbit that goes on, you know, um, uh, funny banter, fine, but the mindless stuff goes on, especially when you live by a cricket ground and you think, oh, God, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> can you actually hear it yeah. from your, your, your kitchen or your, your front room? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean... During the first lockdown, you know, when there was no cricket in you know, March, April, May, uh, you know, I was starting to convince myself, oh, I, I don't miss it that much. That's all right. It's the, the, the garden's quiet. Then when it started up for the last nine games of the season, me and Imelda, my wife, we were down there every Saturday, every Sunday, just think, God, we've missed this. And just doing the... So sitting around, you know, just chuntering away to people on the boundary with, and it was, and it was a nice summer, decent weather. We didn't lose yeah. many games through yeah. you know, through bad weather. It was, it was heaven. You know, it was heaven when it came back. You know. Well, I think we all embraced that. Even, yeah. you know, people who played too long and were realising they were coming to the end, you know, what, what a great summer it was. Because that's a good point mm. about the weather. We didn't lose any games at Twickenham. No, um, no I don't think so. It's not often you, you say that. Jim, we're going to go into our um, traditional 10 questions that we end our podcast with. So my, my advice to all of our guests is very simple. Your first answer is the right answer. Okay, go, go with the gut instinct on this one and think about how you defend yourself later. Okay. Oh, my God, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. <laughs> Sal, do you want to kick off or should I go first? Um, you can go first. I shall go first. I'm, I'm just going. Go on, you go Jim, first. Yeah. Jim, you'll notice all the theme of food here as well because me and Dan are quite... Um, into our food, so you'll, you'll realise that later on as we go yeah. along. Um, first question is, so it's, it's a, you know, you choose one of the two, um, Yorkshire CC or Middlesex CC? Uh, Yorkshire CC, although I am a member of Middlesex. Not for much longer after that answer. Yeah, um, no, no, it's <laughs> totally understandable. But once Yorkshire, always Yorkshire, I'd have thought, not that I'm a Yorkshireman, mm. but that's, we get it right. Um, second question. Now, Obviously, you've played many, many acting roles in your in your career, and and you know we all know that that's how well known these these, these roles are. But which of these two characters um, is your favourite? And they're basically my two favourite characters that you played. Um, it's going to be Carson, okay, or Harold Angus, because I thought Harold Angus in Red Riding was absolutely. Brilliant. I loved Red Riding, which is, for those who don't know, it was a, a, a two-part TV film that was pretty dark, I'll be honest, but it, I thought it was fantastic. Which of those two was your favourite? Or feel free to add another one in. Who's your favourite character you've ever played? Carson, uh, favourite, because it's been the most successful, off-the-scale success. Harold Angus, whose name I wouldn't have remembered if you hadn't told me. Really? Because he was oh, wow. a, a really evil person. 
Yeah. And I and I wouldn't have remembered his name, but I loved playing a real baddie. And I would love to, when I finished with Carson, play another real baddie. But my top favorite of all time would have to be the French resistance fighter Deja Vu in the film Top Secret, which is so Google Top Secret. Um, and, the, you know, I was introduced by, so, you know, my name is Deja Vu. And have we not met somewhere before? Um, so it was a, it, it was. You know, downhill from there. Oh, the God. Same the same people who did Airplane and Naked Gun. So oh, very I love those kind of films. Oh. I mean, Deja yeah. Vu, what a name. Top Secret. Okay, I will look that up. But but Harold Angus, as you say, he was one of these chillingly, brilliantly, sadistically horrible people. And I thought you were great at it, Jim. If you might don't mind me saying, yeah, I enjoyed doing it. Yeah, (laughs) like it was coming naturally. Yeah. (laughs) Next one, Sal. Okay, I have a feeling you answer probably the one I'm going to mention first. But Test cricket or T Twenty cricket? Test cricket. Yeah. Yeah. Any particular Test? I mean, look at the Test series. Look at the test series at the moment, you know, yeah. it's, it's just, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Any test matches that stand out for you, individual ones that you sort of, you know, in your mind, that think, or oh, what a great game that was? So many of them. It's, it's the ones that, uh, it's the incidents. It's Freddie Flintoff throwing down the stumps to turn the game. It's, you know, yeah. it, it, it's, it's just these tiny, tiny moments that turn Test cricket. Who knows? Joe Root not being given out plum LBW today, you know, and tomorrow's going to score 300 and, 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 and win a test match single handedly. It's going to be. You know, um, Jim, can you pass around whatever you're smoking? Because Sal and I want some of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Um, cool. Now, as Sal said, we, 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 we've got a, a fondness for food on this pod. Um, so th- there are a couple of food questions. This is the first of them. Are you more a fish and chips man or a Sunday roast man? Different occasions. I've never had fish and chips on a Sunday. Sunday roast is just the best, though, isn't it? Really? The, the, with all the bits. Yeah, that's the good. And, uh, you know, Imelda can do a great Sunday roast. Not every Sunday, of course, but very fond of a Sunday roast. Yeah. That sounds like an open invite, Jim. That does. You know, we've, we've <laughs> we'll got, be around next got, week. We've got we've got laws at the moment, but we'll fit you in during some during yeah. some point. You know. Um, next one. Uh, Test match special or Sky Sports? Test match special in the car. Sky Sports when at home. I only listen to the radio in the car. I love it on on the in the car. It's it's, it's the sound of summer. If I'm at home, I'm sorry. I'm in the sofa and I've got the I've got the Sky Sports on. You mentioned the view from the boundary. One of my favourite ones on that. I don't know if you've ever heard when Alice Cooper was on. No. Yeah, he, he with the lips of venomous poison, and <laughs> um, and and like he sort of had a vague idea, but he, he really got into it. And he was he was he was talking to, to Aggers, obviously, and there was somebody else there. And it, it's just it's just brilliant because he's totally you know he's trying to understand what a googly was and all the rest of it, and it, <laughs> it, it it's really, really good. So if you've got time on your hands, which we all have, I suppose, at the moment, then. Yeah. Alice Cooper. Brilliant. Um, now, a little bird told me, Jim, that you, you're, you're, um, you're quite a magician. You're, yeah. you're a fan of magic, which, which I think is great, because magic's a, I wouldn't say it's a dying art, but it's not as popular as it was when I was, you know, 25 years ago. So um, I, I wanted to ask you, how you, you know, how, how you got into that in a sec, but um, if I was to say Penn and Teller or Harry Houdini, who'd you go with? Wow, um, Harry Houdini, because he was a sort yeah. of the father of modern magic in a way. Penn and Teller are brilliant, or used to be brilliant. They wore yeah. a bit thin after a while. Um, 
Yeah, I, I did a magic act uh, for 30 years. Um, and you might not know this, Dan, but I actually also uh, did a three-month circus course in New York in the 70s and used to be a hot uh, juggler and tightrope walker. And I'm hearing still Hard, hard and stilts. I did stilts. I used to ride a bicycle on stilts. Um, <laughs> I, wow. I had a pair of three-foot stilts and six-foot stilts. Um, and... Uh, yeah, used to be so unicycling is a lot, lot of unicycling in my days. Wow. Hard to believe now, isn't it? <laughs> well, next time the circus is in town at Twickenham, we'll get you over. You can have a you can yeah, have a I'll home. be there. Mate. Yeah, I'll be there. Fantastic. Um, so, on the subject of magic, Jim, I don't know if you know the Finchley captain Hassan, or he was previously captain Hassan Khan. He's yeah. a musician as well. So I'm not sure if you actually traded tricks at all between yourselves when you've seen each other. Oh, yeah, no. a, he's a good musician, yeah. uh, musician good, yeah. a good magician. And I, I've, the, I've heard the implication, good... Dan, being that I'm a rubbished one. Yes, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I pick up on what you're saying. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn. He's, he's, <laughs> he's very good. Actually, if you're listening, we want to get him on one day as well. So, Hassan, yeah. if you're listening, invite is there for you. Okay, next question. We talk about with the Yorkshire in the early days watching cricket and two of Yorkshire's favourite sons. Who's, who's your favourite artist? Do you, Brian Close or Jeff Boycott? Brian Close. He was mad, yeah. wasn't he? He, he was. He, he, was, was, he was mad. I mean, he was mad, but he, he was a good captain in in the sort of the probably early sixties, wasn't he? And he, he he was mad. I think probably they, they were both probably a bit too Yorkshire for my taste. I mean, Jeffrey is is certainly too Yorkshire for my taste. You know, it's that professional Yorkshire stuff. Um, um, oh, I should speak straight from the heart, lad. No, you're just rude. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> like uh, yeah. so, so Brian Close just because he was, and he just stood there and just let them, the West Indies hit him with the ball and just, you know, yeah. you know bounce it off his head. He didn't get a six off his head or something at one point, or something like that. Yeah. Well, I remember he stood about two yards away from Viv mm. Richards and it's like, what, what are you doing? You're going to get seriously hurt. And he clearly didn't care. He would go one yeah. yard away if, if anyone said that to him. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, slightly before my time, I'll be honest, but I hear stories from my dad about Brian Close and the way he behaved. But um, yeah, and he's a famously terrifying driver. He used to drive, you know, um, drive young cricketers between games and whilst smoking his pipe and, and filling in the racing card whilst driving, which is not uh, for our listeners out there. This is not to be recommended. <laughs> all good. All good. Right. We're going to go. Now for something completely different, as, as other people have famously said. Um, Coronation Street or EastEnders? No, um, uh, Coronation Street, because it's northern. I should uh, have said Coronation Street or Emmerdale Farm, shouldn't I? Yeah, I I've, ne I've never... I've, never uh, I've watched Coronation Street a few times in colour, but may mainly in black and white. A few uh, times in colour. <laughs> and and I've, I'm afraid I've never watched EastEnders. I didn't think it would be really my cup of tea. Um, so, Jimmy, in your time, you've seen two fantastic premiership titles for Hampstead. Which one would you say the most memorable, the first one or the second one? The first one, because uh, it, it was just so exciting. It was, uh, you know, Hampstead had never won the league before, so it, it was a, a big watershed moment. And as I said, it was um, um, because of the last day of the season, the, the hockey club have moved into the clubhouse because it's the first day of their season. So we were all piled in downstairs in the changing room 
um, in a horrible sticky mess, and it was it, it was really memorable. It was it was it was a great day for the club. So yeah, definitely the first one. Right, last one from me, and then Sal's got one to round up. Um, now, I, I guess as an actor who's won many awards, and of course, you know your your, your wife has won many awards as well for, for her acting prowess. This is one that I don't know. Think long and hard about this one, right? So attending an Oscars dinner or a Lord's lunch? Uh, an Oscars dinner, I would say, because it's a rarer thing. Uh, I, um, and uh, Lords, I love Lords. I love the... Uh, it makes me feel... I hate putting on a tie because it feels like I'm putting on a costume, but I will do that to go into the, the pavilion at Lords. The catering does leave something to be de desired in the pavilion, but an Oscars dinner, because you think this is a, we did it in 2005 when Imelda was nominated for Vera Drake, and we thought this is utterly bonkers. We'll never do this again. Oh, there's Morgan Freeman. Oh, Leonardo DiCaprio's <laughs> coming over to say hello. Can you hear these names just thudding in there yeah, as I yeah. drop them on the floor? And, uh, so I love Lords dearly, but uh, I, I, I've been there a few times. I'll only go to the Oscars once. We can justifiably accept that answer, Jim. I feel okay. Like. Okay. Sorry, Yeah. <laughs> how many people attend an Oscars event? Is it is it like three or four hundred? I suppose is that right? It's it's probably um, a sort of an intimate four thousand. I would say. So, now there are there are okay. about there are there are about two thousand in the. Uh, it, it's completely mad because it's all about business. There's about 2,000 in the auditorium for the ceremony itself. Every time you go to the loo, a seat filler comes in and sits in your seat so that the cameras never see an empty seat. You know, a well-dressed extra sits in your seat until you come back. Then you push through into a huge barn kind of place for the governor's ball, which is a dinner while there's some opera and, um, and trapeze work going on in the middle of the room. Nobody's looking at the food. They're all looking over each other's shoulders to see if there's anybody more important. Then everybody dashes off to the Vanity Fair party or the Elton John party and Imelda and I just went home. You know, just went back to the hotel and had a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like one of those things that is, is quite hard to imagine what it's really like, because, of course, I, I, you know, we just see the cameras looking at all you guys looking fantastic. You know, I love the idea of having extras who, who sit down. Yeah. We should try that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. the thing was, you see, what, what you don't know is that we, um, we set off to get there at about midday because the traffic jams of the, these stretch limos take up forever. Then you get that you're on the red carpet for nearly two hours. While My heart bleeds, being... Jim. Really? Oh, yeah. Mate, it, it, we suffer, mate. You know, you think it's easy. Dan, it's it's cruel out there. And you know, Imelda's being asked the same question by every local radio um, station in the world, you know, 400 times, you know. Um, so you, your bladder's bursting and then you go and then, then you watch Hilary Swank win the Oscar that should have gone to my wife, you know. Terrible. Well, it, it was a great film. I've changed film. my mind. Lord's, Lord's dinner at Lord's. <laughs>
for those who haven't seen it, it's a great film. It's a it's a pretty yeah. heavy one, but I, I have to say, I remember watching it 15 years ago, thinking it was superb. Um, Sal, yeah. you're going to round us off with a yeah, much quick question on, on that. An even more important question on the Oscars. Though, before we move on, because oh. I'm fascinated by all this. So, did, did Imelda have a speech written, or was it going to be like off the cuff if she'd won? No, no. Uh, one of our pet hates is people who go, "Oh my God, I didn't think I was going to win." Look, you silly trout, you had a one in five chance or a one in four chance. So, so prepare a speech. So, of course, Imelda would have had something ready because she's a professional. Um, so uh, had she won, but she knew she wouldn't because she knew Americans wouldn't win and give an Oscar to an abortionist. You know, not that Imelda's abortionist, her character in the oh, film. Was and a Backstreet one at that. So not, not and a, a Backstreet one at that. So that was never going to win an Oscar. Okay. All right, we're going to move on to something a bit more low-key now, to, to the guys that play at your club. Um, you've got some fast, brilliant players at Hampstead, you know, in your first team, some broker cricketers, but also they can be a bit grumpy in a pitch score from what I've been told. So of these two, who do you say is the grumpiest, Rich Bannon or Brent Fraser? I think, oh, now, careful now. You're putting me in trouble <laughs> here. Um, uh, on, uh, on the pitch, Jim, not off the pitch. Let, let, I think possibly Ben Fraser. I think he's uh, is, is uh, um, grumpy, um, slightly an edge of curmudgeonliness. When he steps over the other side of the boundary, is is, is a, a gentleman, of course. Yeah, which is the key thing, you know. There, yeah, we, yeah. We've all yeah. been there, grumpy on a cricket field, including Sal. I should say, Jim. I, you know, he gets oh. he's been grumpy too. Never. Um, <laughs> actually, quickly, just on, on that point you made about the fieldings, I just quickly it's actually law forty one point five, and it comes down to um, the actual terminology of it. I was going to tell you guys before we head off. It's um, deliberate distraction, deception, or obstruction of the batsman. So that's where deception. that comes Deception. Deception. Yeah. Law yeah. against deception. Wow. Sliding for the ball. Yeah. 1.5. Yeah. Oh, right. I think now that's what I've spread. So hopefully I'm correct. Excellent. I'm going to use that You know, when, when necessary, Sal. 41.5. Fantastic. <laughs> Jim, I think we've drawn to a close here. Uh, we, we, we could have gone on. And I certainly could have asked loads more questions about Oscar ceremonies. They sound absolutely brilliant. Um, but, we, you know, we appreciate you taking time to speak to us. Um, congratulations again on all on your new old role at Hampstead coming back in as chair um, fingers crossed the weather's good to us and I'm sure we'll see you again on the boundary edge um, walking around Hampstead and maybe it's Wickenham Green who knows or in North London um, sometime in the summer so thanks very much it's been great having you on board brilliant thank, thank you, you very you. much gents thanks very much it's all the best cheers Jim